section twenty eight of shirley this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org shirley by charlotte bronte chapter twenty eight phoebe shirley probably got on pleasantly with sir philip that evening for the next morning she came down in one of her best moods who will take a walk with me she asked after breakfast isabella and gertrude will you so rare was such an invitation from miss kildar to her female cousins that they hesitated before they accepted it their mamma however signifying acquiescence in the project they fetched their bonnets and the trio set out it did not suit these three young persons to be thrown much together miss kildar liked the society of few ladies indeed she had a cordial pleasure in that of none except mrs pryor and caroline hellstone she was civil kind attentive even to her cousins but still she usually had little to say to them in the sunny mood of this particular morning she contrived to entertain even the misses simpson without deviating from her wonted rule of discussing with them only ordinary themes she imparted to these themes an extraordinary interest the sparkle of her spirit glanced along her phrases what made her so joyous all the cause must have been in herself the day was not bright it was dim a pale waning autumn day the walks through the dun woods were damp the atmosphere was heavy the sky overcast and yet it seemed that in shirley's heart lived all the light and azure of italy as all its fervour laughed in her grey english eye some directions necessary to be given to her foreman john delayed her behind her cousins as they neared fieldhead on their return perhaps an interval of twenty minutes elapsed between her separation from them and her re-entrance into the house in the meantime she had spoken to john and then she had lingered in the lane at the gate a summons to luncheon called her in she excused herself from the meal and went upstairs is not shirley coming to luncheon asked isabella she said she was hungry an hour after as she did not quit her chamber one of her cousins went to seek her there she was found sitting at the foot of the bed her head resting on her hand she looked quite pale very thoughtful almost sad you are not ill was the question put a little sick replied miss Kildar certainly she was not a little changed from what she had been two hours before this change accounted for only by those three words explained no otherwise this change whensoever springing effected in a brief ten minutes passed like no light summer cloud she talked when she joined her friends at dinner talked as usual she remained with them during the evening when again questioned respecting her health she declared herself perfectly recovered it had been a mere passing faintness a momentary sensation not worth a thought 
yet it was felt there was a difference and surely the next day the day the week the fortnight after this new and peculiar shadow lingered on the countenance in the manner of miss keeldar a strange quietude settled over her look her movements her very voice the alteration was not so marked as to court or permit frequent questioning yet it was there and it would not pass away it hung over her like a cloud which no breeze could stir or disperse soon it became evident that to notice this change was to annoy her first she shrank from remark and if persisted in she with her own peculiar hauteur repelled it was she ill the reply came with decision i am not did anything weigh on her mind had anything happened to affect her spirits she scornfully ridiculed the idea what did they mean by spirits she had no spirits black or white blue or grey to affect something must be the matter she was so altered she supposed she had a right to alter at her ease she knew she was plainer if it suited her to grow ugly why need others fret themselves on the subject there must be a cause for the change what was it she peremptorily requested to be let alone then she would make every effort to appear quite gay and she seemed indignant at herself that she could not perfectly succeed brief self-spurning epithets burst from her lips when alone fool coward she would term herself poltroon she would say if you must tremble tremble in secret quail where no eye sees you how dare you she would ask herself how dare you show your weakness and betray your imbecile anxieties shake them off rise above them if you cannot do this hide them and to hide them she did her best she once more became resolutely lively in company when weary of effort and forced to relax she sought solitude not the solitude of her chamber she refused to mope shut up between four walls but that wilder solitude which lies out of doors and which she could chase mounted on zoe her mare she took long rides of half a day her uncle disapproved but he dared not remonstrate it was never pleasant to face shirley's anger even when she was healthy and gay but now that her face showed him and her large eye looked hollow there was something in the darkening of that face and kindling of that eye which touched as well as alarmed to all comparative strangers who unconscious of the alteration in her spirits commented on the alteration in her looks she had one reply i am perfectly well i have not an ailment and health indeed she must have had to be able to bear the exposure to the weather she now encountered wet or fair calmer storm she took her daily ride over still bro moor tartar keeping up at her side with his wolf-like gallop long and untiring twice three times the eyes of gossips those eyes which are everywhere in the closet and on the hilltop noticed that instead of turning on rush edge the top ridge of stilbro moor she rode forwards all the way to the town scouts were not wanting to mark her destination there it was ascertained that she alighted at the door of one mr pearson hall a solicitor related to the vicar of nunnally 
this gentleman and his ancestors had been the agents of the keeldar family for generations back some people affirmed that miss keeldar was become involved in business speculations connected with hollows mill yet she had lost money and was constrained to mortgage her land others conjectured that she was going to be married and that the settlements were preparing mr moore and henry simpson were together in the schoolroom the tutor was waiting for a lesson which the pupil seemed busy in preparing henry make haste the afternoon is getting on is it sir certainly are you nearly ready with that lesson no not nearly ready i've not construed a line mr moore looked up the boy's tone was rather peculiar the task presents no difficulties henry or if it does bring them to me we will work together mr moore i can do no work my boy you are ill sir i am not worse in bodily health than usual but my heart is full shut the book come hither harry come to the fireside harry limped forward his tutor placed him in a chair his lips were quivering his eyes brimming he laid his crutch on the floor bent down his head and wept this distress is not occasioned by physical pain you say harry you have a grief tell it me sir i have such a grief as i never had before i wish it could be relieved in some way i can hardly bear it who knows but if we talk it over we may relieve it what is the cause whom does it concern the cause sir is surely it concerns surely does it you think her changed all who know her think her changed you too mr moore not seriously no i see no alteration but such as a favourable turn might repair in a few weeks besides her own word must go for something she says she is well there it is sir as long as she maintained she was well i believed her when i was sad out of her sight i soon recovered spirits in her presence now well harry now has she said anything to you you and she were together in the garden two hours this morning i saw her talking and you listening now my dear harry if miss keeldar has said she is ill and enjoined you to keep her secret do not obey her for her life's sake avow everything speak my boy she say she is ill i believe sir if she were dying she would smile and aver nothing ails me what have you learned then what new circumstance i've learned that she has just made her will made her will the tutor and pupil were silent she told you that asked moore when some minutes had elapsed she told me quite cheerfully not as an ominous circumstance which i felt it to be she said i was the only person besides her solicitor pearson hall and mr helston and mr york who knew anything about it and to me she intimated she wished specially to explain its provisions go on harry because she said looking down on me with her beautiful eyes oh they are beautiful mr moore i love them i love her she is my star heaven must not claim her she is lovely in this world and fitted for this world surely is not an angel she is a woman and she shall live with men seraphs shall not have her mr moore if one of the sons of god with wings white and bright as the sky blue and sounding as the sea having seen that she was fair descended to claim her his claim should be withstood withstood by me boy and cripple as i am 
henry simpson go on when i tell you because she said if i made no will and died before you harry all my property would go to you and i do not intend that it should be so though your father would like it but you she said will have his whole estate which is large larger than fieldhead your sisters will have nothing so i have left them some money though i do not love them both together half so much as i love one lock of your fair hair she said these words and she called me her darling and let me kiss her she went on to tell me that she had left caroline hellstone some money too that this manor house with its furniture and books she had bequeathed to me as she did not choose to take the old family place from her own blood and that all the rest of her property amounting to about twelve thousand pounds exclusive of the legacies to my sisters and miss hellstone she had willed not to me seeing i was already rich but to a good man who would make the best use of it that any human being could do a man she said that was both gentle and brave strong and merciful a man that might not profess to be pious but she knew he had the secret of religion pure and undefiled before god the spirit of love and peace was with him he visited the fatherless and widows in their affliction and kept himself unspotted from the world then she asked do you approve what i have done harry i could not answer my tears choked me as they do now mr moore allowed his pupil a moment to contend with and master his emotion he then demanded what else did she say when i had signified my full consent to the conditions of her will she told me i was a generous boy and she was proud of me and now she added in case anything should happen you will know what to say to malice when she comes whispering hard things in your ear insinuating that shirley has wronged you that she did not love you you will know that i did love you harry that no sister could have loved you better my own treasure mr moore sir when i remember her voice and recall her look my heart beats as if it would break its strings she may go to heaven before me if god commands it she must but the rest of my life and my life will not be long i am glad of that now shall be a straight quick thoughtful journey in the path her step has pressed i thought to enter the vault of the keeldars before her should it be otherwise lay my coffin by shirley's side moore answered him with a weighty calm that offered a strange contrast to the boy's perturbed enthusiasm you are wrong both of you you harm each other if youth once falls under the influence of a shadowy terror it imagines there will never be full sunlight again its first calamity it fancies will last a lifetime what more did she say anything more we settled one or two family points between ourselves i should rather like to know what but mr moore you smile i could not smile to see shirley in such a mood my boy i am neither nervous nor poetic nor inexperienced i see things as they are you don't as yet tell me these family points only sir she asked me whether i considered myself most of a keeldar or a simpson and i answered i was keeldar to the core of the heart and to the mirror of the bones she said she was glad of it for besides her i was the only keeldar left in england and then we agreed on some matters well well sir that if i lived to inherit my father's estate and her house i was to take the name of keeldar and to make fieldhead my residence henry shirley keeldar i said i would be called and i will her name and her manor-house are ages old and simpson and simpson grove are of yesterday come you are neither of you going to heaven yet i have the best hopes of you both with your proud distinctions 
a pair of half-fledged eaglets now what is your inference from all you have told me put it into words that surely thinks she is going to die she referred to her health not once but i assure you she is wasting her hands are grown quite thin and so is her cheek does she ever complain to your mother or sisters never she laughs at them when they question her mr moore she is a strange being so fair and girlish not a man-like woman at all not an amazon and yet lifting her head above both help and sympathy do you know where she is now henry is she in the house or riding out surely not out sir it rains fast true which however is no guarantee that she is not at this moment cantering over a rush edge of late she has never permitted weather to be a hindrance to her rides you remember mr moore how wet and stormy it was last wednesday so wild indeed that she would not permit zoe to be saddled yet the blast she thought too tempestuous for her mare she herself faced on foot that afternoon she walked nearly as far as nunnally i asked her when she came in if she was not afraid of taking cold not i she said it would be too much good luck for me i don't know harry but the best thing that could happen to me would be to take a good cold and fever and so pass off like other christians she is reckless you see sir reckless indeed go and find out where she is and if you can get an opportunity of speaking to her without attracting attention request her to come here a minute yes sir he snatched his crutch and started up to go harry he returned do not deliver the message formally word it as in former days you would have worded an ordinary summons to the schoolroom i see sir she will be more likely to obey and harry sir i will call you when i want you till then you are dispensed from lessons he departed mr moore left alone rose from his desk i can be very cool and very supercilious with henry he said i can seem to make light of his apprehensions and look down du haut de ma grandeur on his youthful ardour to him i can speak as if in my eyes they were both children let me see if i can keep up the same role with her i have known the moment when i seemed about to forget it when confusion and submission seemed about to crush me with their soft tyranny when my tongue faltered and i have almost let the mantle drop and stood in her presence not master no but something else i trust i shall never so play the fool it is well for a sir philip nunnally to redden when he meets her eye he may permit himself the indulgence of submission he may even without disgrace suffer his hand to tremble when it touches hers but if one of her farmers were to show himself susceptible and sentimental he would merely prove his need of a straight waistcoat so far i have always done very well she has sat near me and i have not shaken more than my desk i have encountered her looks and smiles like why like a tutor as i am her hand i never yet touched never underwent that test her farmer or her footman i am not no serf nor servant of hers have i ever been but i am poor and it behooves me to look to my self-respect not to compromise an inch of it what did she mean by that allusion to the cold people who petrify flesh to marble it pleased me i hardly know why i would not permit myself to inquire i never do indulge in scrutiny either of her language or countenance for if i did i should sometimes forget common sense and believe in romance a strange secret ecstasy steals through my veins at moments i'll not encourage i'll not remember it i'm resolved as long as may be to retain the right to say with paul i am not mad but speak forth the words of truth 
and soberness he paused listening will she come or will she not come he inquired how will she take the message naively or disdainfully like a child or like a queen both characters are in her nature if she comes what shall i say to her how account firstly for the freedom of the request shall i apologize to her i could in all humility but would an apology tend to place us in the positions we ought relatively to occupy in this matter i must keep up the professor otherwise i hear a door he waited many minutes passed she will refuse me henry is entreating her to come she declines my petition is presumption in her eyes let her only come i can teach her to the contrary i would rather she were a little perverse it will steal me i prefer her curist in pride armed with a taunt her scorn startles me from my dreams i stand up myself a sarcasm from her eyes or lips puts strength into every nerve and sinew i have some step approaches and not henry's the door unclosed miss Kildar came in the message it appeared had found her at her needle she brought her work in her hand that day she had not been riding out she had evidently passed it quietly she wore her neat indoor dress and silk apron this was no thalestris from the fields but a quiet domestic character from the fireside mr moore had her at advantage he should have addressed her at once in solemn accents and with rigid mien perhaps he would had she looked saucy but her air never showed less of carnerie a soft kind of youthful shyness depressed her eyelid and mantled on her cheek the tutor stood silent she made a full stop between the door and his desk did you want me sir she asked i venture miss Kildar, to send for you that is to ask an interview of a few minutes she waited she plied her needle well sir not lifting her eyes what about be seated first the subject i would broach is one of some moment perhaps i have hardly a right to approach it it is possible i ought to frame an apology it is possible no apology can excuse me the liberty i have taken arises from a conversation with henry the boy is unhappy about your health all your friends are unhappy on that subject it is of your health i would speak i am quite well she said briefly yet changed that matters to none but myself we all change will you sit down formerly miss Kildar, i had some influence with you have i any now may i feel that what i am saying is not accounted positive presumption let me read some french mr moore or i will even take a spell at the latin grammar and let us proclaim a truce to all sanitary discussions no no it is time there were discussions discuss away then but do not choose me for your text i am a healthy subject do you not think it wrong to affirm and reaffirm what is substantially untrue i say i am well i have neither cough pain nor fever is there no equivocation in that assertion is it the direct truth the direct truth lewis moore looked at her earnestly i can myself he said trace no indications of actual disease but why then are you altered am i altered we will try we will seek a proof how i ask in the first place do you sleep as you used to i do not but it is not because i am ill have you the appetite you once had no but it is not because i am ill you remember this little ring fastened to my watch-chain it was my mother's it is too small to pass the joint of my little finger you have many a time sportively purloined it it fitted your forefinger cry now 
she permitted the test the ring dropped from the wasted little hand lewis picked it up and reattached it to the chain an uneasy flush coloured his brow surely again said it is not because i'm ill not only have you lost sleep appetite and flesh proceeded more but your spirits are always at ebb besides there is a nervous alarm in your eye a nervous disquiet in your manner these peculiarities were not formerly yours mr moore we will pause here you have exactly hit it i am nervous now talk of something else what wet weather we have steady pouring rain you nervous yes and if miss kildar is nervous it is not without a cause let me reach it let me look nearer the ailment is not physical i have suspected that it came in one moment i know the day i notice the change your pain is mental not at all it is nothing so dignified merely nervous oh dismiss the topic when it is exhausted not till then nervous alarms should always be communicated that they may be dissipated i wish i had the gift of persuasion and could incline you to speak willingly i believe confession in your case would be half equivalent to cure no said shirley abruptly i wish that were at all probable but i am afraid it is not she suspended her work a moment she was now seated resting her elbow on the table she leaned her head on her hand mr moore looked as if he felt he had at last gained some footing in this difficult path she was serious and in her wish was implied an important admission after that she could no longer affirm that nothing ailed her the tutor allowed her some minutes for repose and reflection ere he returned to the charge once his lips moved to speak but he thought better of it and prolonged the pause surely lifted her eye to his had he betrayed injudicious emotion perhaps obstinate persistence in silence would have been the result but he looked calm strong trustworthy i'd better tell you than my aunt she said or than my cousins or my uncle they would all make such a bustle and it is that very bustle i dread the alarm the flurry the eclat in short i never like to be the centre of a small domestic whirlpool you can bear a little shock eh a great one if necessary not a muscle of the man's frame moved and yet his large heart beat fast in his deep chest what was she going to tell him was irremediable mischief done had i thought it right to go to you i would never have made a secret of the matter one moment she continued i would have told you at once and asked advice why was it not right to come to me it might be right i do not mean that but i could not do it i seem to have no title to trouble you the mishap concerned me only i wanted to keep it to myself and people will not let me i tell you i hate to be an object of worrying attention or a theme for village gossip besides it may pass away without result god knows more though tortured with suspense did not demand a quick explanation he suffered neither gesture glance nor word to betray impatience his tranquillity tranquillized surely his confidence reassured her great effects may spring from trivial causes she remarked as she loosened a bracelet from her wrist then unfastening her sleeve and partially turning it up look here mr moore she showed a mark in her white arm rather a deep though healed-up indentation something between a burn and a cut i would not show that to any one in briarfield but you because you can take it quietly certainly there is nothing in the little mark to shock its history will explain small as it is it has taken my sleep away and made me nervous thin and foolish 
because on account of that little mark i am obliged to look forward to a possibility that has its terrors the sleeve was readjusted the bracelet replaced do you know that you try me he said smiling i am a patient sort of man but my pulse is quickening whatever happens you will befriend me mr moore you will give me the benefit of your self-possession and not leave me at the mercy of agitated cowards i make no promise now tell me the tale and then exact what pledge you will it is a very short tale i took a walk with isabella and gertrude one day about three weeks ago they reached home before me i stayed behind to speak to john after leaving him i pleased myself with lingering in the lane where all was very still and shady i was tired of chattering to the girls and in no hurry to rejoin them as i stood leaning against the gate pillar thinking some very happy thoughts about my future life for that morning i imagined that events were beginning to turn as i had long wished them to turn ah nunnally had been with her the evening before thought more parenthetically i heard a panting sound a dog came running up the lane i know most of the dogs in this neighbourhood it was phoebe one of mr sam wynne's pointers the poor creature ran with her head down her tongue hanging out she looked as if bruised and beaten all over i called her i meant to coax her into the house and give her some water and dinner i felt sure she'd been ill-used mr sam often flogs his pointers cruelly she was too flurried to know me and when i attempted to pat her head she turned and snatched at my arm she bit it so as to draw blood then ran panting on directly after mr wynne's keeper came up carrying a gun he asked if i had seen a dog i told him i had seen phoebe you had better chain up tartar ma'am he said and tell your people to keep within the house i'm after phoebe to shoot her and the groom has gone another way she is raging mad mr moore leaned back in his chair and folded his arms across his chest miss gildar resumed her square of silk canvas and continued the creation of a wreath of parmese violets and you told no one sought no help no cure you would not come to me i got as far as the schoolroom door there my courage failed i preferred to cushion the matter why what can i demand better in this world than to be of use to you i had no claim monstrous and you did nothing yes i walked straight into the laundry where they are ironing most of the week now that i have so many guests in the house while the maid was busy crimping or starching i took an italian iron from the fire and applied the light scarlet glowing tip to my arm i bored it well in it cauterized the little wound then i went upstairs i dare say you never once groaned i'm sure i don't know i was very miserable not firm or tranquil at all i think there was no calm in my mind there was calm in your person i remember listening the whole time we sat at luncheon to hear if you moved in the room above all was quiet i was sitting at the foot of the bed wishing phoebe had not bidden me and alone you like solitude pardon me you disdain sympathy do i mr moore with your powerful mind you must feel independent of help of advice of society so be it since it pleases you she smiled she pursued her embroidery carefully and quickly but her eyelash twinkled and then it glittered and then a drop fell mr moore leaned forward on his desk moved his chair altered his attitude if it is not so he asked with a peculiar mellow change in his voice how is it then i don't know you do know but you won't speak all must be locked up in yourself because it is not worth sharing 
because nobody can give the high price you require for your confidence nobody is rich enough to purchase it nobody has the honour the intellect the power you demand in your adviser there is not a shoulder in england on which you would rest your hand for support far less a bosom which you would permit to pillow your head of course you must live alone i can live alone if need be but the question is not how to live but how to die alone that strikes me in a more grisly light you apprehend the effects of the virus you anticipate an indefinitely threatening dreadful doom she bowed you are very nervous and womanish you complimented me two minutes since on my powerful mind you are very womanish if the whole affair were coolly examined and discussed i feel assured it would turn out that there is no danger of your dying at all amen i am very willing to live if it please god i have felt life sweet how can it be otherwise than sweet with your endowments and nature do you truly expect that you will be seized with hydrophobia and die raving mad i expect it and have feared it just now i fear nothing nor do i on your account i doubt whether the smallest particle of virus mingled with your blood and if it did let me assure you that young healthy faultlessly sound as you are no harm will ensue for the rest i shall inquire whether the dog was really mad i hold she was not mad tell nobody that she bit me why should i when i believe the bite innocuous as a cut of this penknife make yourself easy i am easy though i value your life as much as i do my own chance of happiness in eternity look up why mr moore i wish to see if you are cheered put your work down raise your head there look at me thank you and is the cloud broken i fear nothing is your mind restored to its own natural sunny clime i am very content but i want your promise dictate you know in case the worst i have feared should happen they will smother me you need not smile they will they always do my uncle will be full of horror weakness precipitation and that is the only expedient which will suggest itself to him nobody in the house will be self-possessed but you now promise to befriend me to keep mr simpson away from me not to let henry come near lest i should hurt him mind mind that you take care of yourself too but i shall not injure you i know i shall not lock the chamber door against the surgeons turn them out if they get in let neither the young nor the old mcturk lay a finger on me nor mr grease their colleague and lastly if i give trouble with your own hand administer to me a strong narcotic such a sure dose of laudanum as shall leave no mistake promise to do this moore left his desk and permitted himself the recreation of one or two turns through the room stopping behind shirley's chair he bent over her and said in a low emphatic voice i promise all you ask without comment without reservation if female help is needed call in my housekeeper mrs gill let her lay me out if i die she is attached to me she wronged me again and again and again and again i forgave her she now loves me and would not defraud me of, of a pin confidence has made her honest forbearance has made her kind-hearted at this day i can trust both her integrity her courage and her affection call her but keep my good aunt and my timid cousins away once more promise i promise that is good in you she said looking up at him as he bent over her and smiling is it good does it comfort very much i will be with you i am mrs gill only in any in every extremity where calm and fidelity are needed 
no rash or coward hand shall meddle yet you think me childish i do ah you despise me do we despise children in fact i am neither so strong nor have i such pride in my strength as people think mr moore nor am i so regardless of sympathy but when i have any grief i fear to impart it to those i love lest it should pain them and to those whom i view with indifference i cannot condescend to complain after all you should not taunt me with being childish for if you were as unhappy as i have been for the last three weeks you too would want some friend we all want a friend do we not all of us that have anything good in our natures well you have caroline hellstone yes and you have mr hall yes mrs pryor is a wise good woman she can counsel you when you need counsel for your part you have your brother robert for any right-hand defections there is the reverend matthewson hellstone m a to lean upon for any left-hand fallings off there is hiram york esq both elders pay you homage i never saw mrs york so motherly to any young man as she is to you i don't know how you have won her heart but she is more tender to you than she is to her own sons you have besides your sister hortense it appears we are both well provided it appears so how thankful we ought to be yes how contented yes for my part i am almost contented just now and very thankful gratitude is a divine emotion it fills the heart but not to bursting it warms it but not to fever i like to taste leisurely of bliss devoured in haste i do not know its flavour still leaning on the back of miss kildar's chair moore watched the rapid motion of her fingers as the green and purple garland grew beneath them after a prolonged pause he again asked is the shadow quite gone wholly as i was two hours since and as i am now are two different states of existence i believe mr moore griefs and fears nursed in silence grow like titan infants you will cherish such feelings no more in silence not if i dare speak in using the word dare to whom do you allude to you how is it applicable to me on account of your austerity and shyness why am i austere and shy because you are proud why am i proud i should like to know will you be good enough to tell me perhaps because i am poor for one reason poverty and pride often go together that is such a nice reason i should be charmed to discover another that would pair with it mate that turtle mr moore immediately what do you think of marrying to sober poverty many tinted caprice are you capricious you are a libel i am steady as a rock fixed as the polar star i look out at some early hour of the day and see a fine perfect rainbow bright with promise gloriously spanning the beclouded welkin of life an hour afterwards i look again half the arch is gone and the rest is faded still later the stern sky denies that it ever wore so benign a symbol of hope well mr moore you should contend against these changeful humours they are your besetting sin one never knows where to have you miss kildar at once for two years a pupil who grew very dear to me henry is dear but she was dearer henry never gives me trouble she well she did i think she vexed me twenty-three hours out of the twenty-four she was never with you above three hours or at the most six at a time she sometimes spilled the draught from my cup and stole the food from my plate 
and when she had kept me unfed for a day and that did not suit me for i am a man accustomed to take my meals with reasonable relish and to ascribe due importance to the rational enjoyment of creature comforts i know you do i can tell what sort of dinners you like best perfectly well i know precisely the dishes you prefer she robbed these dishes of flavour and made a fool of me besides i liked to sleep well in my quiet days when i was my own man i never quarrelled with the night for being long nor cursed my bed for its thorns she changed all this mr moore and having taken from me peace of mind and ease of life she took from me herself quite coolly just as if when she was gone the world would be all the same to me i knew i should see her again at some time at the end of two years it fell out that we encountered again under her own roof where she was mistress how do you think she bore herself towards me miss Kildow? like one who had profited well by lessons learned from yourself she received me haughtily she meted out a wide space between us and kept me aloof by the reserved gesture the rare and alienated glance the word calmly civil she was an excellent pupil having seen you distant she at once learned to withdraw pray sir admire in her hauteur a careful improvement on your own coolness conscience and honour and the most despotic necessity dragged me apart from her and kept me sundered with ponderous fetters she was free she might have been clement never free to compromise her self-respect to seek where she had been shunned then she was inconsistent she tantalised as before when i thought i had made up my mind to seeing in her only a lofty stranger she would suddenly show me such a glimpse of loving simplicity she would warm me with such a beam of reviving sympathy she would gladden an hour with converse so gentle gay and kindly that i could no more shut my heart on her image than i could close that door against her presence explain why she distressed me so she could not bear to be quite outcast and then she would sometimes get a notion in her head on a cold wet day that the schoolroom was no cheerful place and feel it incumbent on her to go and see if you and henry kept up a good fire and once there she liked to stay but she should not be changeful if she came at all she should come oftener there is such a thing as intrusion to-morrow you will not be as you are to-day i don't know will you i am not mad most noble baronese we may give one day to dreaming but the next we must awake and i shall awake to propose the morning you are married to sir philip nunnally the fire shines on you and me and shows us very clearly in the glass miss Kildar. and i have been gazing on the picture all the time i have been talking look up what a difference between your head and mine i look old for thirty you are so grave you have such a square brow and your face is sallow i never regard you as a young man nor as roberts junior don't you i thought not imagine roberts clear-cut handsome face looking over my shoulder does not the apparition make vividly manifest the obtuse mould of my heavy traits there he started i've been expecting that wire to vibrate this last half hour the dinner-bell rang and shirley rose mr moore she said as she gathered up her silks have you heard from your brother lately do you know what he means by staying in town so long does he talk of returning 
he talks of returning but what has caused his long absence i cannot tell to speak the truth i thought none in yorkshire knew better than yourself why he was reluctant to come home a crimson shadow passed across miss kildar's cheek write to him and urge him to come she said i know there has been no impolicy in protracting his absence thus far it is good to let the mill stand while trade is so bad but he must not abandon the county i am aware said lewis that he had an interview with you the evening before he left and i saw him quit fieldhead afterwards i read his countenance or tried to read it he turned from me i divined that he would be long away some fine slight fingers have a wondrous knack at pulverizing a man's brittle pride i suppose robert put too much trust in his manly beauty and native gentlemanhood those are better off who being destitute of advantage cannot cherish delusion but i were right and say you advise his return do not say i advise his return but that his return is advisable the second bell rang and miss kildar obeyed its call End of chapter twenty eight